Welcome to another episode of The Unhappy Christian. My name is Dr. Rick Peterson. I am your host for this series of podcasts in which we talk about moving from unhealthy spirituality, toxic religion, counterfeit Christianity, and back into the green pastures of a healthy spirituality as defined by authentic Christian faith. If you're new to this podcast, I want to welcome you today. I want to welcome you with a whole heart. I'm glad you've joined us. Chances are you've uh, been attracted to the title of this podcast, which would tell me you may have some unhappiness of your own going on. And I hope that this podcast will provide you some some ideas and some some teaching, some point of advocacy for you so that you can begin to address that from a biblical point of view and a view that uh, creates some uh, a new trajectory in your life. And so um, we've been talking in recent weeks about the necessity of discerning, about the necessity of identifying counterfeit Christianity and its prevalence within Western culture today and how that counterfeit Christianity cannot do anything but produce unhappiness. It is not designed to do anything but that. Counterfeit uh, Christianity is a result of the enemy of our soul who appears as an angel of light. Uh, Satan himself has his own ministers. He is very religious in his tact. Um, And so uh, what he produces is a counterfeit form of Jesus, a counterfeit gospel, and even a counterfeit of the Holy Spirit. And so if we have gotten caught up in that, if we are presently engaged in any of that counterfeit Christianity, that counterfeit religion that is energized and is um, uh, propagated by uh, Satan and his ministers, then we're, of course, going to be unhappy. And thank God for it. Where would we be if we were happy with counterfeit Christianity? Where would we be if we were uh, content to live with falsehood instead of saving truth? So the problem, again, is that I have discovered in my uh, pastoral counseling work that this counterfeit is so prevalent and, quite frankly, growing in our time that uh, it has really come to define so much of even Western evangelicalism. And it is rampant in the Pentecostal world right now. Uh, Not to even mention what's going on with liberalism and dispensationalism and and, and the hyper-Calvinists within Protestantism. So there's there's just a a lot of headwinds against you today if you're working to live a Christian life and wanting to walk with Christ and and be a, um, a functional person walking in the Spirit. There's a lot of headwinds, and it's coming not from the world only. It's coming from what represents itself as the church. And so part of what we do on this podcast is we pull back the curtain, if you will. We look behind the veil and to see what it is that's covering up this this veneer, this this um, shallow uh, veneer 
of falsehood and, and, and the falsehood behind it and expose it for what it is so that you have a, a, an opportunity, at least, to come out from it and to do so without guilt, to do so without shame. And I have said, however, it does require courage. It takes a lot of courage, especially if you are in the second or third generation of a, uh, a family tradition in a particular denomination or something in which you are heavily involved, but has become toxic. I've been a Christian since 1973, and I've been involved in several churches in those times, with deep commitments in many regards, uh, and I've watched those churches decline. It's been the grief of my life to be part of a church or part of a denomination and have it watch it declining in front of my very eyes to hear the um, the gospel being eclipsed by uh, kind of this talk show host or improvisation type of comedic act uh, that's called a pastor who who is more interested in entertaining the goats than he is in feeding the sheep, uh, a, a disregard or an abandonment of sound doctrine in favor of marketing and schemes to try to get the world to, to like us, to attract the unbelieving world into the pews of our churches as opposed to reaching out to them with the truth of the gospel. I've seen this happen. I've seen it just disintegrate in front of my very eyes, and it has been a source of great grief for me. It has been a source of spiritual depression for me. And I have worked hard to address that in my life and to understand it better and to come out of it. And that's exactly what I want for you as well. If you are suffering today, if you are suffering today, uh, the good chances are if it's coming up for you in the form of relational issues at home or with your kids or in your workplace or if you're suffering a generalized anxiety or a chronic depression, there's a good chance and there's a lot of reasons that those things can be happening. But quite frankly, I'm convinced that most of what causes human unhappiness is the state of our spiritual condition. And this isn't necessarily just a situation for unbelievers, of course. Uh, a Christian, a professing Christian, can be very unhappy tied to their spiritual state. If they're living under falsehood, if they're living under toxic preaching or, or abusive cult-like conditions within the church, uh, I would hope that you would be unhappy. And in the past, I've encouraged you to reframe that unhappiness as a point of discernment and grief and to own it and to be grateful for it. In fact, to even give thank God thanks for it. So God has called us out. We are a people that are called out of the world. That's the very definition of the word ecclesia or church or a people that has been called out we've been called out and to the degree and please hear me now to the degree that the church is in the world 
the church has abandoned Christ and his, the truth of his gospel to embrace the world, we have to come out of it as well. We have to come out from among them, to use that phrase. Now, that's the bad news. The good news is that the gospel is still true. The good news is, is that Jesus has never ceased or failed to be Lord. The good news is that the Holy Spirit is still at work in you. If you are a, uh, a true believer, you are in Christ, God has not abandoned you. You may feel isolated. You may feel lonely, especially if you're one of the quote-unquote duns. People who have just tried too hard for too long to make the silliness of Western Christianity work for you and have decided, I can't do it anymore, and find yourself at home, maybe by yourself or with your family or a close group of friends who, too, uh, also cannot continue in that environment. Uh, you may think that there's something wrong with you. And I want to assure you today that that isn't necessarily the case at all. It could just very well be, and I suspect that it is, that you are discerning, and that you are sensitive. I think this whole demographic of the duns, people who are just done with uh, false Christianity, uh, as it appears in Western culture, are a very faithful people, are very spiritually sensitive people who simply want the best. They're not prepared to settle for some kind of idolatrous lack of falsehood in the church or some kind of a nonsensical uh, message that's designed to appease and market the church to unbelievers and appease the culture instead of be a light and salt into the world. So that's the bad news. The good news is, is that Jesus is still Lord. The gospel is still true. The Holy Spirit is still at work in the world to end in you, to bring people to, to full saving faith in, his, in Jesus Christ. And you are still part of a glorious narrative. And that's what I was talking about last time in the last podcast. I said the, the real path to recapturing your identity, your purpose, and your hope, and I believe your happiness, is to recognize that you are part of a transcendent story. Now, let me just remind you a little bit of what I told you last time. And I, I'm speaking from the principle of the fact that since the Reformation, Protestants have emphasized individual salvation. And that's as it should be but not to the neglect of the greater narrative. The fact that God is saving not just individuals to populate heaven, but he's saving a people. He's redeeming in his son a people. A people for his own glory. A people, a holy people. And Jesus is the standard for that people. What it looks like. And so I told you, therefore, that in the last podcast, that it is God's eternal purpose to create a people for his own glory. 
who are worthy of his presence, a people who image his character into the creation. That's God's eternal purpose, Ephesians chapter 1, 3 through 14. Now this is, was God's purpose before the foundations of the world. And it was God's, God's intended purpose for Adam and Eve in Eden. They were to be his image bearers. And I told you that Adam's choice to be his own God and to pull uh, himself apart from, from his creator and to attempt to be God and Adam's and Eve's choice to do the same has created the mess that we can see all around us today. So God's eternal purpose, however, did not end with the fall. God did not allow the fall of Adam and Eve in the, in the, first, in the first created order to be a end game. So God's eternal purpose then became a redemptive purpose, however, to redeem humanity, to redeem a humanity, as well as create a humanity worthy of his presence. And so, though Adam and Eve left his presence, were taken out of his presence as a result of their fall and their embracing of sin, and they listened to the voice of the serpent as opposed to the voice of God, that God's continued to work and to deal with humanity. It didn't take long, did it, for humanity to get bad. I mean, get to reach a pit to the point where, by Genesis 6, that God had said that he, had, uh, was, he repented of having even made man, but that Noah and his family found grace in his sight. And so while God dealt with that generation most severely through the flood, that Noah and his family were spared and that the earth was spared again. God's redemptive purposes continued. And that he revealed himself to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and then to Moses and to the children of Israel and to the nation of Israel that was then formed. He, re he revealed his presence. He he gave us the gracious expression of his presence, very presence in the tabernacle and following the temple. And when Israel again chose to pursue idols and live in moral decadence and treat their creator as if he were not worthy of any more honor than any of the gods of the other nations, that God withdrew his presence and he withdrew his presence from the temple and Babylon destroyed Jerusalem and Israel, the, certainly the elite of Israel, was taken into captivity. And from that time forward, even though there were some who came back and rebuilt the temple and rebuilt the walls, the glory of God's presence did not descend again. That is, until John came preaching in the power of the Spirit, and Jesus Christ stepped out of obscurity in, in Nazareth and came to John in the waters of baptism. And the Spirit descended upon him. 
and the restoration of God's presence was began in Jesus. You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. The role of Son had moved from Adam to Israel, national Israel, and then to Jesus himself. So suddenly at his baptism, as he came up out of the waters of baptism, and the affirming voice from heaven and the descending of the Holy Spirit upon him, it became affirmed. It was, it was, it was announced that Jesus himself would be the full realization of God's purpose for humanity. Jesus of Nazareth would be the full realization, the fulfillment of God's eternal purpose. And with his death and resurrection, with his life, death, and resurrection, and Pentecost following, God has enacted again his purpose, his grand narrative, to create for himself a people worthy of his presence. So, yes, it's true that we are saved on an individual basis. But we are saved to be a part of a people that God is acting to form a people with Jesus as the head and the standard for what those people look like. A holy people. A royal priesthood, as Peter tells us. A holy nation. And so you are part of that. God's purpose of humanity that was rejected by Adam has been fully realized in Jesus and in those that he purchased by his own blood, those who were justified by his resurrection and empowered by the Spirit at Pentecost. And while this purpose is the yet to be fully realized, it has nonetheless been inaugurated. It is now, in fact, active. So that you, if you are in Christ, you are a child of God by nature. Through the regenerating work of the Spirit, you have been made partakers in the divine nature and a true child of the Father. In the model, after the model and image of Jesus and through the work of the Spirit. So the new created order the fully redeemed new heaven and new earth, the new creation, the new covenant has been inaugurated, has been mobilized, has been mobilized in the present day with the resurrection of Jesus and the outpouring of the Spirit at Pentecost. And that's your story. That's your framework for living. This already and not yet state but we should never think of not yet as implying weakness. Quite on the contrary, the fact that it's already happened, that the power of God is at present within you by the Spirit, that you are now a person who belongs to the coming age being lived out in the present. You are a citizen of heaven living on the planet. 
that you are an heir together with Jesus Christ. All that Jesus is belongs to you, and all that you are belongs to him. So, you are part of a grand narrative. And you are in a present state of full redemption. I've told you last time that even though worldly religion, even if it calls itself Christianity, focuses on telling you that you have to become something that you presently are not in order to, in hopes of finding acceptance with God. The gospel tells us that God has already acted on our behalf in his son. And that for those in him, the future judgment has been taken and placed on the cross. And with the resurrection, your justification and the certainty of your resurrection has also been secured. So that because you're in him, and while there will be a judgment, a final judgment, for you who are in Christ, that judgment is predicated upon something that has already occurred long before you were born. So the good news of the gospel is that God has acted to fully redeem you in Jesus Christ. So that when you acted by faith to receive him, you were simply acknowledging reality. A greater reality. You weren't creating anything. You weren't making anything happen. You were simply stepping into this greater transcendent story of which you are now conscious of yourself as being a part. You are living in a now, now but not yet state. Now we are children of God. And you aren't working to become something you aren't in order to hope find still find acceptance with God. Rather, you are working out who you already are in Jesus Christ. There's a wonderful reference to this in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Let me share that with you. Paul is writing to the Corinthians about a man who has engaged in some pretty severe immorality. He's sleeping with his father's wife, likely his stepmother. And so Paul rebukes this, as he should. And he tells him, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens a whole lump of dough? Clean out the leaven, so that you may be a new lump. And now listen to this. Just as you are, in fact, unleavened. For Christ, our Passover, has already been sacrificed. That's 1 Corinthians 5, 6 and 7. What he's telling them is quit acting like you're not who you're not. By this, by allowing, by this man engaging in this act with his stepmother and with you going, allowing it to occur, you're acting like people that you used to be, not the people who you now are. Engaging in sexual immorality and applauding it and endorsing it and 
being proud of yourself for being so tolerant. That's the way of the world. That's the way of the old self. Paul's saying, put that away. Stop being what you were and start being who you are. You are now unleavened. And the reason you are unleavened is because Christ, our Passover, has also has been sacrificed for you. Now, be who you are. That's his message to the Corinthians. Be who you are, not who you used to be. And there's so much Christian unhappiness today tied to this trying to make a profession of Christ and continue to live in the dictates of the culture, the values of the culture, the the demands of the flesh and of the world, of sin. It, it, it's a conflict that you don't have to live. I'm not saying there's not a struggle. I'm not saying there's not a battle. But because of the power of the Spirit in you, it's a battle you can win. You've been empowered by the Spirit, not to struggle along as just an old sinner saved by grace, but to overcome. And you overcome not by bucking up, not by making New Year's resolutions, but by learning to rely upon the Spirit. Listen, the Holy Spirit was given to you in order for you to overcome. You are not under any obligation to the flesh. The letter through the Romans says that very clearly. We are no longer under obligation to the flesh, but we are under obligation to obedience, a joyful, loving obedience, by the way. An obedience that is empowered by the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. Let me share with you, just briefly, a prayer that my wife and I have begun to embrace in our devotions. And that is a prayer in which we pray that first by giving thanks to the Father for his forgiveness, for his long-suffering, for his mercy and delivering us from the power and the pollution of sin. But that we seek now that the Father would be see us and that we would begin to bring our conduct into line with who we really are in Christ to the degree that God is not only constantly forbearing, forgiving, tolerating, drawing us back, seeking us out, drawing us back. Rather, that we would be the kind of people that he would delight in our thoughts, our words, and our deeds. That he would see our lives looking more and more like Jesus in thought, word, and deed. We want our Heavenly Father to delight in our conduct, not just forbear it. We want to please Him, not just beg Him constantly for repair. I hope that makes sense. 
I believe that that's God's will for every one of his children. And that's why he's working in us to conform us into the image of his son. Listen, I've said it before and I'll continue to say it. Our happiness, please make a note of this. Write it down somewhere. Your happiness is tied directly to becoming more like Jesus. That's it. That's the prescription. Your happiness, your joy, your peace is tied directly to becoming like Jesus. And the good news is, it's not that something you do in your own strength and your own resources. It's something that God has initiated and is at work in you through the power of the Spirit to bring about. Indeed, it is God's paramount purpose. It is God's paramount purpose to conform you into the image of his Son. It is the purpose for which he causes all things to work together for good. That's what Paul means in Romans 8, 28-30. Let me just read that to you. In fact, I'll start at verse, 30, verse 26. Romans 8, 26. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The Holy Spirit is at work in you. You don't have to have lights flashing or jump up and down or roll down aisles to know that the Holy Spirit is at work in you. You can be confident that he is. If you are in Christ, if you are a regenerate person, you can be confident that the Holy Spirit is at work in you. He's interceding for you even in your prayer life, even if you're not conscious of it. And then he goes on to say in verse 28, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his what? His purpose. And what is that purpose? Verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he also called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. It is God's purpose, the eternal purpose of God, to create a new humanity conformed to the image of his Son, Jesus Christ. And so, what's God doing in your life today? I love how D.A. Carson puts it in his commentary on the Gospel of John. He talks about the very presence of Christians in the world, creating a conviction of sin to the world, just as Christ's own life created such a contrast that they came under conviction of sin just by his holiness and goodness and his love. And he speaks of, and Carson speaks in the same vein 
that that should be the way that Christians live too. He says, quote, Undoubtedly, this kind of conviction is driven home to the world primarily through Jesus' followers, who, empowered by the Holy Spirit, live their lives in such growing conformity to Christ that the same impact on the world is observed as when Jesus himself lived out his life before the world. End quote. That's a breathtaking statement, folks. And that's what your happiness is tied to. And let me say it this way. If you are an unhappy Christian, it's because somehow, some way, some time, you begin to think of the Christian life as something other than becoming like Jesus. Perhaps it was about finding a spouse or getting a new job or sending the kids to college or losing that 10 pounds or something. It's just, you become focused, you become obsessed with something that is not the overall purpose in your life. Those things are fine. Nothing wrong with any of those things. But they must stay on the peripheral of your life. The core of your life, the central purpose of your life, has to be in line with God's eternal purpose. The creative people who reflect his holiness and his character. So let me read this Carson statement one more time. He says, Undoubtedly, this kind of conviction in the world is driven home to the world primarily through Jesus' followers, who, empowered by the Holy Spirit, live their lives in such growing conformity to Christ that the same impact on the world is observed as when Jesus himself lived out his life before the world. End quote. Wouldn't that be exciting? To know that Christians are living their lives in such growing conformity to Christ that the same impact on the world is occurring that occurred during Jesus' life and ministry Again, that's D.A. Carson, his commentary on the Gospel of John. Wouldn't that be exciting? Wouldn't that be profound? <laughs> and that's what I want for myself and my family, my children, and for you and your family and your life. I want you to know the happiness, the joy, the righteousness, the peace, and the joy. I want you to be able to recover the delight that comes into one's life who realizes and experiences and on an existential level, not just some theological concept, but, but experientially and ex existentially who you already are eschatologically in the present. Well, I hope that's helped. <laughs> that's the hope. That's the rejoicing in hope. 
the rejoicing that we in the hope that we are becoming more like Jesus. The old man has been crucified. The old self has been put to death, was crucified with Christ, and nevertheless, you can say with Paul in Galatians 2.20, nevertheless you live, though not you, that Christ lives in you. So let me summarize with this. It is working out the life of Christ in you, in your character, your thoughts, your words, your deeds, on an ever-increasing conformity to him. That you will recapture your happiness. You will recapture your joy. You will recapture your sense of purpose and identity. And to the degree that you're not, you will be unhappy. So what I want for you is to move into that. So in the coming weeks, we'll continue to talk about these things. And I, you're welcome to contact me if you like at encounterrecovery at gmail.com. And uh, we can talk some more by email if you like, encounterrecovery at gmail.com. Or our website at EncounterRecovery.com. And um, let me know what your thoughts are. If you have questions or concerns, I've heard from some of you. Thank you, by the way, for your words of encouragement, your words of support, uh, and your words of telling me that this that this has been helpful to you, is encouraging to you. That's my goal. That's my purpose. Uh, if you're going to write to me to tell me uh, it, to be mean or be <laughs> to be toxic or to be um, challenge me or to, um, and I don't mind being challenged, don't get me wrong, but if, if uh, questions are fine, disagreement is even fine, but please don't bother if you're going to write to me to just call me names or accuse me of things that I'm not doing or to uh, be toxic about it. I won't answer emails, so there's no reason. I probably won't even finish reading it. <laughs> I know that in this kind of work, you're going to get a certain amount of that kind of email, and that's just the way it is. You're going to get, you're going to get those cards and letters from people who have nothing in mind but to, but to uh, be unkind and be harsh. But for the rest of you who want to have legitimate questions, and if you have challenges you want to lay down to help better understand, I would be more than happy to answer. I, I can't answer all your emails. I can't answer all your um, inquiries, but uh, I will try to answer a, a broad section, a cross section, a representative section of those emails to try to address questions that are, are outstanding. So until the next podcast, may the Lord comfort you. May he strengthen you. We do hope to have more people come in and join me sometime soon so we can have some more conversational times and less of a monologue like we are doing now. Um, and, um, That'll be, a, that'll be great to hear some more testimonies from people. Uh, I invite you to check. In the meantime, there's a website called The Roy's Report, R-O-Y-S, The Roy's Report. Julie Roy's is a, a worthy ministry who is dedicated to uh, exposing um, clerical abuse and um, cult-like activities in the church. It's, um, it's grievous sometimes to read her articles, but I get them regularly, uh, and it doesn't surprise me because I see it in my, my counseling office. But there is, there is a hope. There is a solution. 
and uh, we are part of a grand narrative of God's gracious redemptive purposes in his Son. So may the Lord keep you and strengthen you. May you know that you're not alone. He is with you. I am with you. And there are many others as well. May the Lord bless you and keep you in his peace. Amen.